Uh, Jay uh, gave a sermon on Psalm 16, and it was really awesome. If you get a chance, please, please, please do listen to it on the podcast. Um, but as I was reading the Psalms, uh, one particular uh, piece of the Psalm flew out at me, and I couldn't get it out of my brain. I just couldn't shake it. And it was this Psalm, uh, Psalm 16, 6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have delightful inheritance. The concept of lines uh, falling in pleasant places, uh, places have, uh, has completed many of thoughts that I've been having over the last couple of months. I've been toying with um, how the, our relationship with Jesus and the definitiveness of what he said, um, and I've been toying with that, uh, particularly as I look over my Christian life. Um, my thought processes around his sacrifice, what he's done for me, have changed completely. Um, from today where I am and as I was a young Christian. So thankfully this puzzle in my head that I've been toying with for the last couple of months with this verse has been gladly just a little bit solved and put together which is fantastic so I thank, I thank Jesus for that. For years I struggled with the concept of not meeting God's standards. Falling out of the book of life I literally could picture myself being written in the book of life and then being taken out of the book of life because of my standards, because of what I was doing wrong or doing something incorrectly or just not not up to scratch. And then that would lead me to, Bernard, you got to get your together. You really got to, you got to get it sore. You got to stop sinning. You got to stop filling the gap. The list goes on uh, and it didn't lead, one thing that it didn't lead, it didn't lead me to intimacy with God. Basically, I didn't understand grace, then thankfully it hit me. I got a revelation, and that only comes from God. There is nothing I can do to earn this. And I know that may sound so basic, and you're going to hear some very basic stuff today. (laughs) Sorry. But it sounds so basic, but I didn't believe that for a long time as a Christian. And sometimes that subtly sneaks back in. Subtly sneaks back in. Through the grace of God, I've come to learn that something very precious and different than what I believe as a Christian. So I love this psalm. I love the way David exclaimed, you know, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I, I have a delightful inheritance. As post-resurrection Christians, how much more have the lines fallen beautifully for us when David said those lines? Mal, you can click on there, please. So as I looked over this verse over and over again, I realized that we can't get a more beautiful line than the one etched into history by Jesus over 2,000 years ago. Time itself is split by Jesus, B.C., A.D. The battle line was drawn, the direction of victory put in place, the claim put in the sand, and we live on the right side of that line. And oh, how beautifully that line has fallen. We are here because that battle line was drawn. Mal, you can click on. The, the, the concept that this has put together for me is, is around definitiveness. Um, and definitive, uh, there's a few words in the dictionary, final, ultimate conclusion. Jesus was definitive. He claimed it. He claimed he was definitive. Uh, once and for all, it is finished. With statements like this, there's no denying it that Jesus wanted to be definitive. He wanted to be that. I love these definitive statements because it leaves no ambiguity. In a world of ambiguity, multiple cults, multiple, even denominations, we need definitiveness, and it's in Jesus. 
When I read Psalm 16 about how the lines have fallen beautifully, I think of how mathematicians love the balance. Uh, I love maths. I, I, love, I have a bit of a logical brain. So I, I've always loved when things worked out. So even years ago, I used to code websites and code certain things. And the joy that you would get from something being done, being complete, uh, coming to its conclusion and being definitive. This is also in Scripture. We find it in Scripture. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't get more definitive than that. In essence, if I was to put this into a math equation, this is what Jesus is saying. And I know that's basic, but I didn't believe that for a long time. And I'm going to maybe test some of the boundaries of how we can subtly go back into believing that that's not the case. This is backed up by Romans 10, 9 to 10. Uh, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart, uh, one, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So what basically Jesus is saying here, there is nothing else on the other side of that equation than me. There is nothing else. I remember years ago having a discussion with a Jehovah's Witness. And again, I don't know if you've ever come across Jehovah's Witnesses. They're very, very difficult to talk to um, and know the scriptures very well. Um, and I got to the conversation where I said, okay, Romans 10.9. I'm going to actually put that into place right now. I'm going to confess that Jesus is my Lord. And that's definitive. They had no answer. There was nothing else they could say. For the joy set before him, Jesus embarked on the most beautiful rescue ever undertaken. Not that you would live on a guilt merry ground, but in a lavish abundance uh, and in a, a lavish grace of the Father. So, just imagine, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, um, uh, Dunkirk. Um, it's, it's based on, in the war, 1944, I think, or actually earlier in the war, 1940, I believe. Um, the British soldiers were pushed back onto the beaches of uh, the coasts of, of, of France. Um, I think it was France. Anyway, let's say it is, right? Just for the moment. Um, and hundreds of thousands of, of troops couldn't get home. So Churchill at the time put in, put in place Project Dynamo, where he conscripted everyone with a boat, go and rescue the, 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 uh, the troops, right? So after that happened, um, I, th I got a picture when I, when I was thinking about this, and... Um, and Sometimes the undertoning message of, Christi of, of some denominations or some Christians or even the enemy, what he tries to do and get into your head is that Jesus is like those boats. He goes and gets you, but then he leaves you in the boat and he doesn't bring you home. That you have to row the boat yourself. That really, really struck me that it's not just salvation that Jesus calls us into. Just bear that in mind. So, on the wrong side of the lines, um, I have lived on the other side of this line. And what I mean by that is, anytime I would sin, I would jump into um, self-degradation. I can't believe you're blowing it. can't believe you've done this again. You, you've let God down. You've done this. You need to get disciplined. You need to this. You need to that. And sometimes that can still happen. And the enemy does want you to believe that you should live on the other side of that equation. That it's Jesus 
plus your works or you can get you onto salvation. That the story isn't finished. That you're left in the boat to row yourself. He saved you. Brilliant. But from now on, you're in the boat. Here's an oar. Go for it. See how good you are. Not the gospel message. It's not the gospel message. Even when disappointment, it doesn't have to be seen. Even in disappointment, when disappointment hits, how do you react? How do I react? God is holding out on me. These are the things. I'm sure you've, you've, you've met this before. I must have sinned and God is punishing me. I need to fill in the gap. These are all reactions that I've had in the past and I'm sure you, you've shared them too. Basically, I was failing and falling short of my salvation. Um, and I was living on the other side of the equation. Constantly I would hear the enemy, after what Jesus has done for you, here you are blowing it again. This is living on, this, on the wrong side of the line and where the lines have fallen for you and me. Mal, if you can click on. <clears throat> I know this sounds simple uh, or, and, and really rudimentary. This can creep in. Religion, the enemy... They're all brilliant at this. Ensuring that you live on the other side of the line, the definitive line drawn by Jesus. Religion adds to this all the time, and it can leave a mess. It leaves you empty, and it can leave you not living in the abundance of Christ. Work, discipline, or works, discipline, obedience from this side of the equation leads itself to self-righteous, uh, self-righteousness, pain, and ultimately, if we live there, this diminishes the work of Jesus Christ. I want to say a bold statement. It took a saviour, a saviour of the world to save you. Nothing else would have done. Nothing. And nothing else will do. Our Father's love was so unshakable and our sins so serious, it took a mighty saviour to sort this out. To say otherwise is not the gospel. And this is why we have salvation by faith. We can add nothing to this truth. This was not earned, it was bought. And if we think we can earn it, it diminishes the power of the cross. So, at this stage, you might go, and I came to many years ago, I said, okay, if this is the truth, then what do I do? And like a bolt of lightning, a piece of scripture came to me, and it was simply this, follow him. And that's all we can do in response to that equation. And here's a sobering thought that hit me <clears throat> some time ago. The Pharisees, if you take out the word Jesus just for the moment and put in God, go back just for a sec, Mal. Thanks, mate. So if you put God plus, the Pharisees always wanted to live on that side of the equation. They always wanted to add in, and religious people want to add in. No, it's something that I can do. God plus me, I, you know, look at my works, look at how I pray, look at how fill in the gap. And this is a sobering thought, and I honestly believe that this is the part of the thinking behind Jesus when he talked about the goats and the sheep warning. And to the warning also in Revelations to the Laodiceans. Jesus warns us about living on the other side of the lines, i.e. not really knowing him and knowing what he's done. And we see this in many Christian denominations, as I mentioned already, and many cults. Matthew 25, 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in, in his glory and all the angels with him, 
he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put, up, put the sheep on, the right, on his right hand, the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me uh, something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit. And we know the rest of that where he says to the goats, you never knew me. They said, that, well, we prophesied in your name. We never, I never knew you. And I, this is sobering. You know, it's one of those scriptures that I call uh, a PMP, a pee my pants scripture, where you go, wow, that is, that takes you home, right? And is it that simple? Is it really that simple, Jesus? That you, I have nothing to give other than accept your and know you for who you are? The great news, and this should be a relief, because it was a relief to me when I first found this out. The great news is that there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing that I can do to earn it. It's been done. Your sin has been dealt with, past, present, and future. It's such a relief knowing that I, can do, I can't do anything to add to this equation. Nothing. I'm saved by the grace of God. I've done nothing to earn, to add to my salvation. What a relief. We get to bask in his grace and it's from here that we come alive. Scripture clearly states this. When you believe in Jesus and the Father, raise him from the dead, uh, then you have fallen on the other side of the lines. They have fallen beautifully for you. You are to live out of this knowledge on the other side of the line. This is a great quote from Derek Prince. Stick it up, Mal. Thank you. I love this. It's from a little book that he has called Ultimate Security. Since then, you have been raised with Christ Jesus. Set your heart on things above. So he's, he's, he's uh, talking about Colossians. So he quotes Colossians. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Derek then goes on to, to exclaim, what was Paul referring to here? And what Paul was referring to here is the place of total security in God. In Christ you died. When Jesus died on the cross, that ended the whole of the old sinful life. You are not only raised with him, but you are enthroned with him as well. Your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Can you think of a safer condition than to have a life that is hidden in Jesus? What harm can come to us? What evil can reach us? What can Satan do against us? What limit can there be on your security when you realize that your life is hidden in Jesus Christ? Wow, pretty, pretty spectacular in fairness. So just to back this up a little bit more, we look, let's have a look at Corinthians 2. Um, so 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. So how else can you make sense of these verses? 
other than accepting that there's nothing you can add. You just accept the glory and the grace of God. Two stories in scripture point this out in beautiful, um, in beautiful form. The story of Zacchaeus is the first one. Zacchaeus, a sinful man, met Jesus, had an encounter with Jesus. Didn't do anything, but all of a sudden saw the glory of Jesus and changed his life around. Literally gave half his stuff away and stopped ripping people off and actually gave money back to people. That's the same encounter like the equation up on that I had earlier on. Nothing I can do other than bask in what I see in Jesus. Same, same goes for the woman who fell at Jesus' feet at the party. She threw away dignity, didn't care. She fell at his feet because of who he was rather than who she was. So what side of that line are we to fall on? So we are definitely to be on the other side. So what does that mean, being on the other side of those equation lines? Click on there, Matt. This is quite a provocative quote from, I don't know if you know this guy, George MacDonald. Um, he has um, unspoken sermons. Um, some of it is, is pretty weighty, but it's pretty good. Let's have a look at what he says. The notion that the salvation of Jesus is a salvation from the consequences of our sins is a false, mean, low notion. The salvation of Christ is salvation from the smallest tendency or leaning to sin. It is a deliverance into the pure air of God's ways of thinking and feeling. It is, a, is a, it is a salvation that makes the heart pure, with a will and a choice of heart to be pure. To such a heart, sin is disgusting. It sees a thing as it is, that is, as God sees it. For God sees everything as it is. So in essence, what we're saying here, the equation isn't just Jesus equals salvation. There's a lot more to it now. And we're going, to dive up. we're going to look into that now. Mal, if you can click on. So what basically George MacDonald is saying is that it's not just salvation. You're not just put in a boat and left there to row on your own. And you're not just left in a boat, saved from the Germans. You're brought home. You're brought home. And we are to live from that side. So, look, we're to live on the other side. If we don't live on this side, we miss a key invitation from Jesus. And we miss so, so much. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. He lavishes gifts because that's who he is. Look at John 17. Look how Jesus prayed for you as a believer. That they will be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. I pray that they will be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory that you, give, you gave to me, I have given to them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they will be completely one so that the world will know that you sent me and you, and, and you have loved them just as you have loved me. So what we're talking about here is sonship. And it's a really key part of living on the other side of that equation. 
So the journey that we've come on here, right, up to now is there's nothing we can do. It's not just about salvation. It's beyond that. It's actually Jesus has invited you into something a lot more. And sometimes I know that's really hard to get your head around because you look back in your life and you go, yeah, what a wreck or whatever. But that's not the gospel. That's not who you are. That's not your identity. Your identity is something different and was paid for with a very, very big price. So it's true. It is true. You were invited into sonship. How do you interpret the prodigal son story if it's not true? We are all prodigals. We turn back by the grace of God. How do you interpret that story when the prodigal son is adorned lavishly with gifts? Is it just for that person in the story or is it for us as well? The prodigal son was invited back into inheritance, inheritance that he squandered, but there's more for him. Invited back into victory, restoration, and above all, sonship with the Father. And that's what you're invited back into. Your Father. The relationship with your Father. So can you see the danger of believing that it's just salvation? Or believing that you or I have something got to do with that salvation? And you're missing out on a big invitation. There's so much to this, but we'll stick on just because it starts with sonship. Stick on, please, Matt. You may recognize this author, I don't know, but a few weeks ago, um, a few weeks ago we were at, um, we were in a, a, one of our groups during the week meetup, and um, I was explaining something, and I was doing a, a really horrendous job at explaining something, right? Dreadful when you think about it. And I was like, that word adoption doesn't do it for me. It's not how I'm feeling with God at the moment. It's just not doing it for me. And thank God, there was a bit of a sage there um, that explained this, but thank, thankfully sent it on in an email. And to say that I basked in this email is an understatement. It was like, it was, it was just like salve to a, to a wound. It was beautiful. And I just want to quote some part of it. The word adoption isn't what we understand adoption to mean. It is referring to the ancient practice of a child, already a biological member of the family, being placed into the authority of a fully matured son or daughter when they come of age. In other words, stepping into their inheritance. That is pretty spectacular. I drank that deep, I have to say. I, I drank that really deep and it was beautiful. He wants you to be a son and daughter so much that he put the apple of his eye sorry, nearly there on a tree and hung with all of our sins so that we would have no barriers sorry <laughs> so <coughs> how does it look differently now being on the other side and accepting that we are to live in sonship. That look like, what does that do to our sin? What does that do to our works? What does that do to our relationship with the world? Well, let's have a look at Psalm 92. It's a beautiful psalm. And if you can imagine that, picture yourself, you're on that other side of that equation. And now you're, you're starting to let your heart believe 
that this is what God really has for you. That you're no longer living as part of the equation. Jesus has done it. It's buried. And now you've been risen. The old man is gone. Psalm 92, verse 12 to 15. The righteous flourish. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit uh, in an old age. They shall be afreshed um, and be flourished uh, to, be, to declare the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. So literally, the reason why I love that part is because I saw myself being, being planted from one side and the relief of just being planted on the other side of that equation out of sonship. That sounds like living on the right side of the line to me. So sin, when we sin and we're in sonship, sin becomes a matter for you and your father. The enemy has no claim. The scripture tells us, confess your sin and he will forgive. It can't be any more straighter than that. From this place, God deals with sin differently because you let him in. My relationship with sin is completely different. Because I know I'm a son of the living God. I hate sin. I don't like it anymore. It isn't my identity. The father has cut it in half. I fail. But it's between me and him now. And that journey is a lot different than shame. Where the enemy wants to bring you. For example, works. This brilliant, beautiful uh, piece of scripture in Philemon 1.6. And this explains beautifully what works look like when you're on the other side, when you accept the grace of God, that there's nothing you've done. You're just going to be lavished with these beautiful gifts and you're living as a son of God. So Philemon 1.6, and I, pray, I am praying, this is Paul, and I am praying that you will be put into action, put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Jesus. It's pretty impressive. I never came across that before, and I was like, that explains it. That the works and generosity come from a place of sonship. Discipline becomes obedience. When you're on the other side, rules don't, when you're on the other side, thinking that you have it, you've got to add to it, Uh, Discipline, obedience, they're they're just rules that exist rather than obedience because who he is and who your relationship with him is and what it is. Living from sonship, God's plans come alive in you. You even intercede for people differently. You become part of the rescue plan. It's God's plan to use you. The difference on this side is that now that you hate your sin... You don't hate yourself. You see your sin as God, how the Father sees your sin. And it's a thing that is dealt with between you and him. So to be crystal clear, sin is not your identity when you're living on the other side of that equation. So whatever you're struggling with, I just want to repeat, it's not your identity. And this ranges from anger, drug abuse, sex abuse, lust, Whatever is stopping you stepping into that relationship, your father wants to deal with it on the other side of that equation. The gospel gospel doesn't tell us that we will enter the kingdom with a, whew, thank God for that. We are going to enter the kingdom to a banquet. 
Because we're the bride. How amazing is that? So the second part of the of the scripture earlier on was about a delightful inheritance. You and I get it all. Not because of what we've done, it's because of who he is. You get the keys of the kingdom. Matthew 16, 9, 16 19. You get the keys of the kingdom. You have to believe that he loves you. You have to. Because look what scripture says. James 2.23 The scripture was fulfilled which says, And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So, well, so my question to you this morning is so where are you living from? Which side of the line? Are you willing to proclaim that the lines have have fallen beautifully for me? Which side of the line will you live on now? Did you come in maybe living on the other side? Are you open to claiming your inheritance, your victory and your sonship? The lines have fallen in beautiful places for us. Let's pray. Jesus, I declare that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I declare that I have nothing to add to this equation. You've done it all, and I declare over my life that the lines have fallen beautifully because of you. You are the way to the Father. I've done nothing. It's all you, and I accept the grace and the offering that you give through your cross, death, resurrection, and ascension. I proclaim that I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to fear. I have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, your kingdom. I live on the other side of that equation. I now sit with you in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father, hidden in you, Jesus. My sinful nature was crucified with you. I live in you, Jesus. Sin now is dead. I now get to deal with it with you, not on my own. What a relief. I have been brought into the family of my father. Father, I want to live from my identity in you. I want to live from my inheritance you have for me and the plans you have for my life. Father, you sent out your rescue mission because you didn't want us to know, uh, not to know you, not to have an eternity with you, not to have an eternal father. So you made the ultimate sacrifice and gave a ransom in your son for me. And I accept that gift. I accept that I can do nothing other than accept that gift. Because it's who you are. You are love. That you loved me enough to go through the pain. To go through that suffering. So that I can be reconciled unto you. Holy Spirit. The way into all truth. Please bring us there. Bring us deeper into a relationship with our Father and the Son. Help us walk on the right side of the lines that have fallen so beautifully for us into revelation and living from our identity in Christ and the inheritance of works. Holy Spirit, touch hearts that haven't seen the revelation of sonship. Reach deep. Let, that, let the message hit home that you love us so much that you did it all and you just want us to live a life through sonship 
I'm not rowing the boat alone. That our sin is to be dealt with with you now. Our works are glorifications of you. Our obedience is because we love you and we know who you are. Not to gain favor. Because our favor is already gained. We love you Jesus for setting this up for us. You drew the line so deep 2,000 years ago. And we live on that side of the line. And from here, this is how we can proclaim the simple gospel. The simple message that the line was drawn for everyone and all they have to do is accept you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Jesus.